Fearless Fundraisers. I'm Dawn Lego. It's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows, and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. So let's get going. A podcast wouldn't be the same without a co-host, and I am super excited to introduce my co-host, the legendary, the wonderful, the amazing, talented, Mr. Benjamin Farrell. Ben, are you with us today? Absolutely, Don. Thank you for having me. I am always fired up to talk about fundraising. I am always focused on fundraising and I'm equally excited about learning something new. So fired up to be here. Well, today we're really going to learn something new and maybe dive into something a little bit scary for most fundraisers out there. But I'd love to introduce my guest, um, Mr. Sean Olds from Boodle AI, who we're going to have some really could take a deep dive conversation in data-driven development, something that I'm super excited and passionate about. I think every fundraiser out there should be paying attention. But before we dive, let's introduce the man of the half hour, Mr. Sean Olds. Hello, Sean. How are you? So good to have you with us today. We had you last week on our YouTube channel. We're going to see you later on at Raise. How do you feel about being on Raise Nation Radio? So happy to be here, Don. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you, Ben. Looking forward to our conversation today. So tell, tell all our fearless fundraisers a little bit about yourself, how you got started. Tell us about Boodle AI and just where you are today so that people can get to know you a little bit better, if you don't mind. Sure. So I, I started down a path in, in computers in college, actually. I, I majored in computer science at West Point. Uh, to be clear, though, the languages I programmed in back then are now taught in the history of computer class. So I, I did not code what we have at Boodle. We have a wonderful development team who did. Uh, I served my time in the military, unfortunately, could not fall out of airplanes properly, and so left the military and went into the startup world. And aside from a brief break after September 11th to go back in service to the government doing counterterrorism work in Southwest Asia, I've pretty much been working with startups, mostly technology, uh, but some international startups as well. Along that path, I've also spent 25 years serving on nonprofit boards, literally went on my first nonprofit board right after graduation, focused on youth education, and after the military on several veteran service organization boards. And the only aspect of my philanthropic service I didn't really enjoy was fundraising. And it's not. <laughs> and it's not because I Mic can't drop. Ask, yeah, <laughs> but it's not because I can't ask for money. I do that for a living as an entrepreneur. It's because it's so difficult and more difficult than it needed to be. And that was the genesis of Boodle. How do we bring modern day technology into the fundraising world? How do we democratize data science and machine learning so that nonprofits can spend less time focused on fundraising because they're more effective and more efficient at it and more time on their mission, which is where they really need to be focused. Okay, fair enough. I'll forgive you for that statement then. So we want we we want fundraisers to just work smarter, not necessarily harder, and that's where data de driven development comes into play. Absolutely. So 
real excited to get about getting uh, into that conversation. But like always, it's very important that we take a moment to pause and thank you and your family for your service. We wouldn't have you know the freedom that we enjoy if it, if it wasn't for people like yourself. I'm sorry you had a hard time falling out of airplanes, but um, it's really good to have you have you here. But of course, thank you so much for you know for all of your service that makes this country what it is. So yeah, um, and and also thank you for right away serving on a board, like right away, really having that, having a philosophy of service and giving back and your experience as a board member, without a doubt, I'm sure paid off as you begin to grow this company and serving the charities, of course, that will benefit um, from this advancement. Absolutely. No, it it was a wonderful foundation to build up over two decades and, and bring those experiences in. So let's talk a little bit about data-driven development. What is it and why are we so scared of it? You know, um, some of us, you know, kind of think we know, maybe we we know, but we don't really know. So let's just hear it from the man who's created this next level of fundraising smarter. What is it? And please tell us why we, we why we're so afraid of it and should we be afraid of it? Well, the, the, the list of why people are afraid of it is, is long and every, every organization is unique. Everybody's experience level is unique. Um, of course, at one extreme, there are people when they hear AI, they picture the uh, gleaming chrome and, and red eyes of the Terminator coming at them. Uh, and that's definitely not what this is. In fact, one of the things we always stress is the most powerful AI team is the human machine team. The machine is able to take and do what a human might take weeks to do and do it in hours. But what the machine can't do is understand the individual they're reaching out to and understand the way in which they should do that. And that's what a development director and a development team really understands and knows well. So the list is is long and varied as to why people are scared of it. What it is, it's using data to start to discern who are the most appropriate people to go after. Um, And what we decided to do in there, there are two kind of uh, camps of predictive analytics. One is intent-based predictive analytics, which Don, I'm sure you've you've gone web surfing at some point, and then you hop onto your your news browser or the ESPN webpage, and what pops up? That that site that you were just looking at the day before. All the time. They're watching me with eagle eyes. (laughs) That's right. And those are cookies which are going away, um, but that's called intent-based data. Organizations say you were looking at something, you must be interested, now's the prime time to hit you up with ads because you probably have the intent to purchase. We decided to go down around five years ago when we started building this of looking at affinity-based data. So really looking at someone's affinity for a certain cause, someone's likelihood to become a lifetime donor to the organization. And so the data that we bring in about people, and we bring in about 1,200 different data points about each person that we work with, are things that really define who they are and their cohort. So we'll take a look at... 350 major gift donors and build a persona around them to really understand who they are and what they are. So one of the uh, big fears you ask about, Donna, when people hear about data is nonprofits say, well, I don't have a lot of data or I have really messy data. And so we started out in our development process to be able to work with just a name and an email address knowing that every organization has that, right? Whether you collected a donation, whether they on your newsletter list, 
whatever it may be, you have that about your donors. And we can perform identity resolution with it, just that amount of information, and then bring in all these other data points. And so now all of a sudden, we can turn an organization's newsletter list into a, a rich persona of what gender they skew to, what demographic they skew to, what religion, what their interests are. So that as you start to place your Google ads and your, your ad buys, you can do it in a more targeted way so that you're getting more of the type of donors that you want to bring in. If you're bringing in more of the type of donors that you want to bring in, that means more donations or is it not that simple? No, it's it, number one, it's more donations. More importantly, it's more lifetime donations. So one of the big things we saw food banks happen this, this past year in the pandemic is they had a massive influx of new donors. But I'm sure, Don and Ben, you know the statistic. Uh-huh. 80% of all first-year donors will churn out. Well, the 80%, first- Sean? Did you just say that? 80%, 80% of, of first-time first- donors will churn out. Wow. So nonprofits are always on the search for that 20%. How do I keep that 20% and who are they? Well, even though the the food banks went up by an order of magnitude in in number of first-year donations, their development team didn't get any bigger. And so Uh now if the development team is going to spend their time going after everyone, they're invariably going to miss some of that 20%. But by being able to look at who your current best donors are, who are the people who are your major gift donors, who are the people who are monthly recurring donors, who are the people who have donated to you more than twice and saying, these are the type of people I want more of. Now you can overlay those predictive models on top of all these new prospects and help your development team really start to target who am I going to reach out to? Who am I going to invest my time with? Because they're most likely to stay for the long term. So if it's only 20%, it's all the more important. I, I, I didn't know that statistic. I, I should have. So thank you for, for, for sharing that with me. So if you only have 20%, all the more critical, right? That you need to retain as much of that as you 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 can, because if you're walking away with this major campaign and you're, you're ending up with 5% retention or lifetime donors or 7%, that's, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of work for very little retention, which growing your development and your donor database is everything in development. So really getting it. So why are we so scared? Well, we, we talked about that. Should we be scared? I think is the better question. Should we be scared of data-driven development, machine learning, artificial intelligence, should we be scared? How, I'm going to hope that you're going to say yeah. no, because Boodle's going to yeah. make it easy. Is that right? Absolutely. Well, you're, you're talking to a guy who used to jump out of airplanes, so I'm probably not the best metric on what, what, what should be scary. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I, I would say we should be cautious. So uh, one of the things we've done at Boodle is, is we've always taken a stance on how do we protect data. So we don't sell data. We are not a data broker. And there are a lot of data brokers out there. We sell insights. We use data about people to inform the algorithms, but the algorithms themselves, they have no PII. They have no personally identifiable information in there that could be hacked or stolen or anything like that. And it's one of the reasons a lot of nonprofits like working with us is they don't need to maintain all that data. So um, we should definitely be cautious. I always tell people when they're talking to organizations, even if it's not AI organizations, your CRMs, your other other people who want to get a hold of your data and making sure they can't do anything else with your data. Because as nonprofits, you've got to be good stewards of your donors' data or you're going to lose your donors. 
So I would say we definitely have to be cautious because there are a lot of organizations that are, I won't say a lot. There are some organizations out there that are doing bad things with data. Mm -hmm. Predominantly, especially as you see it with people in the nonprofit field, they're trying to do good with data. And, and, and that's that's what if you stipulate that we're doing good with data, then absolutely no organization should not be scared. They should be embracing what this brings for them. We, they should be embracing how more effective, efficient it's going to make them, but also their engagement with their donors. Right now, what do a lot of organizations do, especially smaller nonprofits? Well, I don't know exactly how to engage all my donors, so I'm going to engage them all with the same message. Well, that doesn't work really well, and you lose potential donors in doing so. But imagine now being able to target, well, I know these are the donors who really care about our gala, and these are the donors who care about our races, and these are the donors who are my high net worth donors. And now you come up with messaging around each of those things, and you only reach out to those individuals who fit that mold. So that when you're reaching out to your high net worth donors, you're not pinging your racers with the same message and bombarding them and potentially annoying them. And so now when your racer is ready to get hit three months before the race and you want to tell them about it, they're eager to hear about it and they haven't been bombarded with you or, or clicked unsubscribe to what you're sending them. Oh, it's so helpful. And, you know, it's been said so many times that if you can't measure something, then how do you know if it's working or not? If you don't have any usable information, you know, Sean, I'm a fundraising auctioneer, so I live in front of audiences. And, you know, the question comes up, well, what's going to sell best to our audience? Well, you know, I've, I've had a crystal ball for a number of years. It, it does not work. <laughs> I keep looking into it for an answer. It's about as effective as the magic eight ball. And so the answer is always the same. Well, we need to be communicating with these individuals so we know what they want. We know what they like. We know how they want to participate. Are they going to be making a fund to need donation or purchasing a live? So I think that your tool, which is giving the charities usable, measurable information, now they have something to act upon, uh, which is far more effective than the you know, the spray and pray, let's just send out all these messages. But you're right. That's a serious concern. We don't want someone unsubscribing because they're getting too many messages from you. So I know there's charities, they're listening right now. And they're saying, okay, okay, I know I have to take the first step. So what is their first step uh, in this right direction of using this technology to help them raise more money? So the, the, the first step, obviously is, is doing the research, finding out what firms you think are best. We hope you'll, you'll discern that Boodle within the nonprofit space is the best. We offer free trials. We, of course, offer demos. We have a, a team ready and standing by at any point in time that will walk through what the platform does. Um, most importantly, what we did this year is when, as I mentioned at the outset, we set out to democratize data science. And at the beginning of this year, we were a typical SaaS company and our entry level license was $18,000, which ruled out a lot of people. And as we started talking to potential customers who weren't coming on board, my co-founder and I had the epiphany that we were trying to sell a Lamborghini to many people who were at their corner 7-Eleven a mile from their house with a gallon of milk, and they just wanted to get home. And if they bought the Lamborghini, they were never going to get it out of first gear. 
So we spent all of the second quarter of this year uh, doing what HubSpot did right before the IPO, what Twilio does on, on, on as since their inception, which is moving to a usage-based pricing model. And usage-based pricing, as you know, Don and Ben, is not about lowering your prices. It's about breaking everything into its component parts so that people can buy the component that they need. And so as of the second quarter of this year, we were able to get nonprofits onto the platform for $499 a year. Amazing. That gets them the start and then lets them use the platform as they see fit and ramp up as they need to. Really, Amazing. Re- really helpful. And, you know, I would say that uh, during this time of, of the, the pandemic, where we all just took the old playbooks, threw them out the window and just launched something new. I think there was this great realization with so many nonprofits, which is we've got to be a little more current with the times. I think now they can sort of justify clearly some investment in new technology. So I think, Don, that's a very exciting to hear that someone can, that the, the barrier to entry is low enough enough really that any charity can participate. And I think that's part of the, the fear, right? Because nonprofits need technology, right? They, they need their donor management, you know, their, their CRM solution. They, they need fundraising tools. They need their online giving solution, right? There's there's a number of, their technology stack is, is big. And in the nonprofit space, I think it's a little bit new. Sometimes in the nonprofit world, we're a little bit slow to adopt technology. We have this feeling of, well, you know what, if I, if I can do it harder and make a few more pennies, that's good. But I think we're learning that that's really not good, right? Like if you can be really efficient and you can work more towards your your mission and the big picture and your messaging and let some you know machines in the background guide you and and make sure that your messaging is spot on as opposed to just putting messages out there and hope that it resonates it really is worth $499 you know as an entry level um that's not a barrier anymore i mean that's that's tremendous and i applaud you Sean you know for recognizing that number one and for actually doing it you know walking the walk and talking the talk, right? You recognize that non, you know, nonprofits can't afford to drive around in Lamborghinis, nor would they even <laughs> justify that, right? They would never in a million years, but bringing it, you know, down to where it makes sense. Um, I have to applaud Boodle, you know, for doing that. Um, so what are you talking about? I believe you have a session later on today. Um, what, what, what will fundraisers hear? What are they going to hear from Mr. Sean Olds? Uh, well, as, as you saw, the title is that uh, we come in peace and it's it's addressing that fear <laughs> you talked about. Um, you know, people people do think that AI is is uh, sometimes that that beast that's coming after them. And what we're we're just going to walk through how the platform works, how easy it is, how you don't need to go through a cleaning exercise of your data, how you don't need to have vast amounts of data. If you do even better, but you don't need to, the systems are built in such way um, that it's easy. Um, I set out with our development team five years ago and I told them, assume that our end user knows how to Google, order on Amazon and watch Netflix. It has to be that easy. Um, you know, the three of us are on the Zoom call and, and we've all over the pandemic been on many Zoom calls. I'm betting that 99% of the people you sit on a Zoom call with cannot walk you through and explain to you video over IP, but they don't need to because Zoom made it as easy as pressing a button and then you can do it. And that's what we've endeavored to do with data science and machine learning. Press a button, upload a list, get the results you need, and then action those results in the way you think most appropriate. 
Well, you you answered my next question right there, that answer, because uh, as someone that works with uh, charities throughout the entire fundraising process, <clears throat> I can tell you, uh, even going back to my first year using BitPal Mobile Bidding back in 2000, 2008, hello, everybody, 2008. And uh, back then, people thought, oh, my goodness, <clears throat> I just can't imagine a room full of adults on their telephone or smartphone, right? <clears throat> of course, of course you can. Um so many charities will say, we finally just figured out our current platform, whatever it is of managing our donors. How can we possibly, how can we possibly learn a whole new technology? But what I think I'm hearing from you is it's really as easy as uploading a list and getting your results. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and for people who um, think they might struggle, we have a, a full customer success team that will work with them. Um, our customer success team feels a bit dejected because most of the time our clients end up kicking into the curb because they don't need them. It's just that simple. Wow. Well, that's that's really encouraging, I think. Um, you know, if you're taking away the financial barrier and you're taking away the learning curve, I have to say, all you fearless fundraisers out there, well, what's next? I mean, we kind of take all the excuses, you know, away. So let's get smarter and not work so, so hard. So, um, Sean, what would you say to fearless fundraisers out there? What should they be doing today to prepare if they're, if they're bought in, if they're embracing this idea of machine learning and data-driven development, what, what could, what steps before, before that let, let's take them back before they actually engage um, a provider like, you know, Boodle AI, what steps should they be doing right now to what, what's the prep work? What, what do they need to do to get them started in the right direction? Honestly, there's not a lot of prep work. We work with organizations that literally have their CRM in an Excel spreadsheet. We work with organizations that have their CRM on BlackBot, Salesforce, any of the others. Um, the, the good question is, what should they be doing? I, I think, Don, is, is ongoing, even, even after they engage a provider. But if you've got someone who says, hey, I'm just starting out, and we can even help organizations that are just starting out, what they should be doing is collecting as much data as possible. Data is the fuel that feeds into machine learning. And so the more that they can collect, the better results they're going to get. Again, we built our system so they can work with minimal data, but organizations we work with that have been collecting five, 10 years of data and have more than just a name and an email address, they get better results. They get more refined results. The good news is with the way machine learning works is it evolves. When an organization starts and they do their first campaign, every donor who came in becomes positive training data for the algorithm and every donor who didn't come in becomes negative training data. And now that algorithm is even stronger when they go out and do their next campaign. That's really, really helpful. You know, when, when the pandemic first hit March 11th, uh, I got, I think it was somewhere around 50 either phone calls and or emails of cancellations, right? We don't know, we ever, we are frozen in our tracks. And then finally one brave organization, about eight weeks later, after the, you know, the nationwide shutdown, they said, Ben, we are putting the lives of those we serve first. And we're gonna bravely step into this new world of virtual events and we're gonna go for it. And they had the right people. And we talk, go back to that 80-20 that you talked about. Well, the 20% of committed donors showed up and they raised more than they did the year before at their in-person gala. It was a million dollar event, total success. And I say that simply because they were so brave to take that step forward. And then with that success, every charity I spoke to, I could say, listen, 
if it worked for them, it can work for you. So my question to you is, is there an example or do you have a charity that was maybe wondering whether or not to do it? They bravely took that first step and then they have results. I'm sure you've watched I'll give you a funny one who didn't necessarily bravely do it and they'll admit it. They're one of our case studies, but um, the uh, we worked with the Air Force Academy. Very proud to work with them in, in spite of my having gone to West Point. Still, still enjoy working with them. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, but they uh, they did not at first trust our direct mail predictions. So, I mean, Don, you talked about earlier about how it's it's so urgent with just 20%. Well, when direct mail usually yields about a 1% return, there's a lot of printing and postage money that's getting wasted. And expensive. And very expensive. And so the Air Force Academy uh, took our, our models in. We told them who they should send direct mail to and who they should not for each mailing list. And they said, okay, great. And they still went out and mailed the whole list. And they did this three times over nine months. And every single time the people we rated as 59 and below didn't didn't direct mail response. And the people we rated 60 as above did. And so now the second year is they've renewed, they're listening and they're now saving um, just over 40% in their printing and postage costs by weeding out those people who weren't going to respond anyways. You actually had a customer who used data to drive their ROI with you. So that's pretty funny. That's a great, uh, what a, what a great example. I mean, that's where you have usable, usable information. You can present usable, measurable information to your board and say, this is our next decision. So it's not really a debate about how we're, you know, uh, it's not guesswork. It's right there before your eyes to see and measure. I think that is incredibly helpful. And, um, you know, we have a ton of fundraisers, obviously, Sean, tuning in from all over the country. Everyone is very eager to hear about how they can improve their fundraising, something they can take back to their team. So uh, you have a lot to offer here, but what would you say would be the one the one recommendation you would make, something they could do right now today or a bit of information they can share with their teams today to get them moving in the right direction? I would honestly, this is a, it's a statement again, I won't say it's a statement against interest, but I would actually look at how you use AI in general. Um, there are so many nonprofits out there that are not just using it in fundraising, they're also using it programmatically. And when you can do it in both areas, your donors are going to feel like they're making an investment, not a donation anymore. So you look, for ah. example, at United Refugees, who's using AI technology to do facial recognition. They used to send a team of a half dozen people halfway around the world. They would spend two, three weeks in a camp, and they might identify a couple of people in there. Now they can send two people teams into a camp for a few days and identify dozens of people. That means every donor dollar that comes in is getting more efficient and identifying more people. So it's really looking at how your organization is operating and what it can do more efficiently, whether it's on the programmatic side or the fundraising side. Now that is a uh, that's amazing results and what a difference they're making right on the ground with delivering the fulfilling their mission. I mean, absolutely turning the information and technology to help them help them succeed. So I did have one more question here, which was I think earlier you mentioned twelve hundred data points. I mean, man, it makes me a little bit nervous. What are they tracking about me? What's out? Of course, it's out there, right? This, this is nothing new, of course. But uh, what are some of these metrics that you would be measuring if that would help people kind of understand the information that's being gathered? 
Yes. And, and Benny, you'd be amazed, at least I was, at the amount of digital exhaust we give off. And, you know, a lot of people get up in arms about, I don't want anybody having that data. I said, okay, we'll put your phone away. Don't use your phone anymore. And, and people won't be able to track it. Well, I need my phone. So <laughs> we make a compromise. Exactly. We make a compromise in, in what we what we want to do and, and, and how we engage it. The data that we use, as I mentioned, a lot of it is affinity-based data. Um, and so it's it's really data about who an individual is. Um, and that's what allows us, Ben, you mentioned the, the auctions. We're actually working with a client who used our data points to curate the, uh, their auction items. I heard so about that. I heard about it. Yep. The people they want to go to. So those are the, the, the type of things. And we're always looking to add more data. One of the ones I'm really excited about we're adding next month is wealth is one of those 1,200 data points. We're actually going to add time series data on wealth, because if today you know that Dawn is worth five million dollars, anybody else would look at Dawn and go, well, she's a person you go after. But if I can show you seven years ago, Dawn was worth 50 million dollars. Dawn doesn't feel so rich today. And so that kind of information on data, being able to take a time series approach to it really allows you to get an even deeper insight to the people you're talking to. Cool. And Sean, I think we're going to hear about that, um, you know, guiding your auction items coming up probably in the fall of this year or going into the winter winter of this year. We're going to have some results to share, which will be super exciting to guide the silent auction. You know, having items that resonate with your with your audience. What could be better? Right. Because then, you know, know, they're going to bid more bid often. And um, I'm real excited. We have to tune back in with you. Um, Hopefully we can have you back on Raise Nation Radio. Maybe you could bring some of that results because I know we're expecting that in a couple of months. That's going to be pretty exciting too. I'd welcome the opportunity. Yeah, believe me. And uh, this this might finally be a good replacement to my crystal ball, Sean. So uh, yeah, there you go. Very excited. Who very said excited. we don't have a crystal ball there, Mr. Ben Farrell? We have just, one. We can auction your crystal ball at the next auction. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's good. So that's right. Well, luckily I have, uh, I should have said this earlier, I do have three of them. So we can be able to triple down and most sell multiple packages. So Sean, look, really, really, really appreciate this. I am highly interested in this. I cannot wait to, to learn more and tune in. I know the fundraiser are. I'm telling you, you got to jump in there, folks. Do all that you can to succeed. Um, you know, you, and this has always been the case prior to the pandemic and certainly now and beyond. So give yourselves all of the best tools, measure your success, take action upon these real time, real world information so you can be successful. And um, Sean, thank you so much. Now I could keep going here because I feel like I have a thousand and one more questions, but here we are at one o'clock. We're, uh, we're wrapping up. So we're you know, I hate to say it, John, but here we go. We're just about out of time. And so fearless fundraisers, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed today's Raise Nation radio topic. And of course, your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. I uh, certainly want to thank our sponsors, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause, of course, is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with donors. Be sure to check them out at onecause.com. And on behalf of my co-host, the amazing Don Lego, uh, me, Benjamin Farrell, big shout out to our guest, Sean Olds, Boodle AI. Thank you for your service to our country through uh, your service of and board work of charities. And of course, your service here today to our amazing fundraising audience. And actually, before I say goodbye, Sean, how can our listeners listening right now, how can they connect with you? I can, you can reach out to me at Sean at Boodle.ai or simply find our website at www.boodle.ai. 
Well, that is boodle.ai, everyone. Tune in, learn more, achieve more, and be successful. And with that, until next time, this has been Benjamin Farrell, uh, Don Lego, and Sean Olds, of course. This is Ray's Nation Radio. Stay fearless out there, everyone, and we'll see you next time. One Cause is the proud sponsor of Ray's Nation Radio and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with donors. Day in and day out, One Cause puts your cause at the center of everything they do. Let One Cause power your fundraising.